Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in every week. This week, we're looking at Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 14, and the title is Confessions of a Strong Christian. If you have a Bible today, grab that Bible, go to the book of Romans. We've been doing a series, verse by verse, through the book of Romans, and today we're in chapter 6. Picking up where we left off last Sunday, Uh, we'll pick up with verse 8. As you're finding that passage of Scripture, uh, let let me ask you, how do you usually respond or what goes through your mind when you hear someone say, we have a problem? What happens when you're at the gate waiting on your airplane and you hear someone say, we have a problem. This past week, Jennifer and I had the uh, opportunity and the blessing to be able to go to Mexico and to be there sharpening with other pastors and training. And uh, last Sunday, we flew out on Sunday afternoon. And, uh, you know, you've heard me say this before. My, my Saturdays, I, I, you know, I kind of have a, a ritual that I do on Saturdays. I don't like anything to mess with that. Saturday afternoon, I kind of start moving with my mind, you know, my my spirit about what's going to happen here on Sunday morning. I view every Sunday morning as Super Bowl Sunday. I fully believe that there are some folks that I'll get an opportunity maybe just one time to speak to. And so I take that very, very serious. And so Saturday night is all getting geared to come, you know, looking over what I've studied during the week to come here on Sunday morning. And so as we were going to be flying back uh, to Panama City from Mexico, we were like, you know what, we, uh, uh, I want to make sure that we get back in plenty of time. And so we were flying out of Mexico yesterday morning. We'd be back here in Panama City by 6, a little bit later than I wanted, but I thought, you know, it'll still be okay. And we were there in Mexico, and uh, we were supposed to be boarding our plane, and they came on and said, we have a problem. Uh, there's an issue with the door of the aircraft, and uh, we need to make sure that it's safe to fly. Now, you know, I'm not a mechanic, and, um, and you know, I'm not a pilot, and we have several pilots here in the church. I can only assume from a layperson's point of view, the door is an important part of the airplane. And so I'm thinking, my goodness, something must have happened. They must have hit something in transit. I, I don't know what took place. Maybe that door is hanging on by, uh, you know, one little hinge, and they're having to replace the entire door. There are welders that are coming. I, I don't know what's going on. But they said, here, here's how they, they, they announced it. We have a problem. It might, it could possibly delay the flight. It's like they go to a school to be trained to say stuff like that. No definitives, just could possibly happen. And uh, it did. It did, about two hours late. And uh, come to find out, the uh, problem with the door was when somebody was taking the skywalk out there to, uh, to the plane, they rammed it into the door and it left a dent about the size of a quarter. And so they had to get permission from Atlanta to fly. Two hours later, Atlanta said, it'll be all right. Go ahead. (laughs) 
Well, flying back into the States, you know you have to go through customs and all that. That's okay. We'd already planned that out. No problem. Got plenty of time to get through customs. Probably grab a little something to eat, make our flight, come back to Panama City. Well, now that's all in jeopardy. We're there and we're talking. Are we going to make it? We've we got we to catch our flight. You know, we'll be leaving Atlanta at 6 o'clock and arriving here in Panama City at like 6.03, in which some of you still have not figured out the magic of how that happens. <laughs> I'm not going to ruin it for you, okay? And so we're, we're, we're there, and hey, I need to make sure, you know, when we're going to land and what's going to happen. We would have 30 minutes from when we landed to when our flight would take off in Atlanta. And, uh, and I said, well, we're not going to make it. And they said, no, oh, well, we think you can make it. Okay, all right. I'm willing to do that because I want to get home. And so, man, everything was going to have to be just right, right? We would, have to, we would have to arrive at a certain time when there's not a lot of folks going through customs, right? We'd have to have all of our documentation ready, and it wouldn't cause any delay. We, we were going to have to hit the tram at just the right time to go out to the, to the concourse that we were leaving from. Every, it was an impossible thing, and it happened. And so... I'm moving through the line, and I mean, seriously, we're going down the escalator, and I'm like, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. Move, old lady, get out of here, little boy. We're in a hurry. <laughs> Got to preach tomorrow. And a couple of times, my wife said, you just need to quit. You just need to quit. And a couple of other times, she, she said some other things I'm just not going to say. <laughs> and, uh, and we move through. We show up at the gate. Ten minutes before it was to take off. And the door was shut. And the plane was there. And the door was shut. There were no agents. The door was shut. The plane was there. And so we had done the impossible. This only happens once in a lifetime. We made it through immigration, the tram, everything in Atlanta, and we still made it to the gate in 21 minutes. And so I started banging on the door. <laughs> let us in, let us in, let us in. Banging on the door, banging. Folks are looking. Jennifer's like, you got to quit. You got to stop. I, I, <laughs> I don't have enough money to bail you out of the Atlanta jail. Please, you've got to quit. And I turned, there was a young man there, and I'm like, sir, listen, we're on this flight. I see the flight right there. We've made it. You will not understand what you guys caused to happen, and yet we overcome all that. We're here. We're ready to go on the flight. We're ready to go home. Tell somebody to open the door. He said, I just pushed the wheelchairs. <laughs> you might talk to her over there. And there was a woman over there, and I go to her, and she's like, I got nothing to do with it. And we saw the plane, and they said, it's closed. So we went to an area where they help you, and these are my exact words. We've got a problem. <laughs> and I could tell very quickly, we did not have a problem. I had a problem. So we got home. Oh, we got to the airport about 11.30 last night. Yeah. Yeah. So, pardon me, I'm still a little frustrated. <laughs> I know that you've heard before what the acrostic delta stands for. You've heard this, don't expect luggage to arrive. You've heard delta stands for doesn't ever leave the airport 
You've heard that Delta stands for delivers everyone late through Atlanta. <laughs> Got a new one for you, friends. Delta stands for don't even let them aboard. <laughs> but we see the plane. We see the plane. That's our plane. Anyway, made for a long, long night. We have a problem. I hate when I hear that. Well, I'm going to tell you today, we have a problem. We have a problem. And here's the problem. There are a lot of folks who, while they have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and the forgiveness of their sins to get them to heaven, they've been saved, they've not progressed in their Christian walk. I mean, they're in, right? but they've not moved. They're still stuck at where they got in. And one of the things that Paul's been talking about through this life transformation is, hey, listen, a great byproduct of salvation is you do get to go to heaven when you die. That is wonderful. But listen, the main thing is he's transforming you every day, sanctifying you into the very image of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to grow to become more and more like Christ. And so what we're going to see this morning is he's going to tell us there are six wonderful truths as we work through this passage of Scripture that we need to remember, that we need to hold to. I would even say that we need to voice to grow in our faith. Look there. He kind of breaks it down to us just a little bit. Romans chapter 6. Look in verse 8, and we'll kind, of, we'll kind of progress through this. I won't read all the scripture at once, but he says in verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we, we know that if you're saved you have, because he just talked about that in the first seven verses. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. When our son was three or four years of age, uh, you know, we said, you know what, we've got to get him to start sleeping in his bed. Now, I, I know some of you told us very early on when, you know, hey, you, you need to make sure he sleeps in his bed right now. Lock the door, do whatever you got to do. He doesn't need to be sleeping in y'all's bed, in which we responded, we love you, thank you, but you take care of your side of the road, we'll take care of ours. And, uh, but we got to the point where we said, you know, man, we need to move. We bought him a big boy bed, put him in his room, and you know, what would happen is he'd wake up, next thing you know, he'd be in our room. And, uh, you know, my wife was very sympathetic and, you know, uh, you know, that's all right, go ahead, you know, come here. And, you know, and I'd say, the bed's not big enough for all three of us. And she'd say, well, you can go to the couch. And she'd say, me. And uh, anyway, but there was one night he was there and he was in his bed, his big boy bed, and I heard crying, or actually she heard crying, and, and she said, oh, something's going on. And I'm like, no, 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 let me handle it. I'll take care of it. Because I knew she was coming back and he was going to be with her. I'll handle it. And so I walked in the room. He's laying on the floor, and he's crying. And I'm like, oh, what's up, Hoss? What's going on? And he said, I fell out of bed. And I'm like, why did you fall out of bed? He said, well, I, 
I guess I stayed a little too close to where I got in. <laughs> hey, there's some of you a little too close to where you got in. Let's grow in Christ, right? Let's mature in our walk. And so let's begin looking at these six truths this morning that will help us get beyond that place where we got in. First of all, here it is. I am dead to sin and self. Look in verse 11 with me. Verse 11, he continues. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead. Now, the word reckon, it's a word that we use. Well, you know, you country folks like me, you use that word all the time, right? Uh, how are you feeling? I reckon I'm doing all right. What about the ball game last night? Eh, I reckon it's okay. It means a possibility. I mean, you know, not really, uh, it's not really anchored in right there. That's not the word that he is using here. He's using an accounting term, which means to, uh, to count it. It means to consider. So he says, you also consider yourselves to be dead. So here's what that means. It means day after day, right? It means moment after moment. You keep acknowledging, for those of you who have a relationship with Christ, you keep acknowledging, I'm dead to sin. I am dead to sin. I am dead to sin. You say, but I thought I was always going to be a sinner. Well, for the Christian, sin is inevitable. You show me someone that says I'm not a sinner, I'd say, yes, you are. You're a, you're a liar. Sin is inevitable. But for the Christian, sin is not necessary. You are dead to sin. It is never something that you say, I've got to do it. Now, stop and think. A person who's not a believer in Christ, right? A person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, they run to sin. They sin all they want to. They enjoy that sin. But the distinction that he has been making all throughout the book of Romans is, for a born-again, redeemed Christian, you're not running after sin. You're running from sin, and you never, ever enjoy that sin. Why? Because you got a new nature inside of you the nature of Jesus Christ so the first thing if you want to grow if you want to get past just where you got in you got to admit you're dead to sin one of the greatest Christians the world has ever known George Mueller of Bristol matter of fact there's a book about his it's his autobiography George Mueller of Bristol Read it if you get a chance. I led the staff through this study several years ago. But George Mueller of Bristol, uh, he, uh, one day somebody asked George the secret of his success in the Christian life. I want you to listen to what he said. He said, there was a day when I died, utterly died. I died to George Mueller. His opinions, his preferences, his taste, his will. I died to the world. It's approval or censor. I died to the approval or the blame of even my brothers and friends. Since then, I've studied to show myself approved unto God. How do you begin growing in your faith? How do you get beyond just being saved to being transformed, right? To becoming more and more like Christ. You realize I'm dead to sin and I'm dead to myself. But then there's a second truth. I am alive 
in Christ. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, he says, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we live the Christian life. What is the Christian life? It is dying to self. How do I die to self? I live in Jesus. Understand what happens. When you became a Christian, you are wrapped in righteousness. What is righteousness? Right standing with God, right? Nothing that we can earn on our own. The moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's almost like, it's almost like Jesus says, hey, by the way, I'm going to wrap you. I'm going to give you my coat of righteousness. And he lays it over us so much to the point that now when God looks at us, God, even though we are still in this sinful fleshly body, God looks at us and he says, you're righteous just like my son who never sinned. You're in right standing with me. It is a position that comes for those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord. You're covered in that righteousness. I was reading a while back about uh, something that happened, true story in the Spanish-American War. There was an American citizen that was arrested uh, down in Mexico by the Spanish army. And uh, they, they declared that he was guilty of, I, I don't even know what it was, but he was guilty. They sentenced him to die by execution by a firing squad. And just so happens there was a group of officers from our uh, American army that was there. And they were on a kind of a, a mission um, Kind of, kind of a mission treaty trip. They were there talking about, you know, how can we work this thing out. And while they were there, they brought this American citizen out before the firing squad. One of the officers saw him, and he reached into his bag. He pulled out an American flag. He ran over to this man in front of the firing squad. He wrapped this man in the American flag, and here's what he said. He said, this man is an American, and if you shoot him, you will bring down on you the full wrath of the United States of America. Man, I thank God it used to be that way. Listen to me, friend. They released him. They let him go. They're like, no, we don't want that. Well, I'm telling you, even greater, even greater this morning, that we have an adversary, right? And he is shooting his, his arrows at us all the time. The arrows of temptation, the arrows of doubt, the arrows of self-worth, the arrows of everything. And Jesus Christ has come. He's wrapped us in his righteousness. The devil will even come. Some of you know this. The devil will even come and he'll say, you know you're not right with God. You know who the real you is. You know that God could never use you. You know that God could never make you into the husband that you're supposed to be, into the wife that you're supposed to be the mom or the dad or the child that you're supposed to be in Christ and he'll get us to doubt he'll get us to doubt the transforming power of Jesus Christ but I'm telling you you're in Christ you've been wrapped in the coat of his righteousness and God the father looks down at you and he's like what's the big deal I see Jesus they're in Christ yeah come on give him praise and glory for that this morning and so, I'm alive in him. Here's the third truth. I won't let sin control me anymore. 
So I'm dead to myself. I'm dead to sin, right? I'm alive in Jesus. You hear me say this all the time. Thank God we don't have to wait to go through the cemetery to find life. A lot of folks think being in Jesus, I mean, again, that's, that's heaven. That's eternal life. No, it's, it's life that begins the moment you meet him. But then the third one, I won't let sin control me anymore. Look in verse 12. We're continuing on verse by verse. Why don't you skip one? Nah, let's not do that. Verse 12, therefore, do not let any sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. There was a time before you met Jesus Christ that sin was your drill sergeant. Some of you hear me say drill sergeant automatically. You're like, oh, I got a bad feeling. Your drill sergeant, whatever sin told you to do, that's exactly what you did. That was before Christ. That is no longer true in the life of a Christian. The Bible says, do not let sin control you. Do not let sin rule you. The truth is, victory over sin, guys, you've got to constantly claim that. You've got to constantly fight that. It's not just something that, that automatically happens once and for all, okay, There'll be no more uh, control of me by sin in my life. No, it's a constant battle. Now, please hear me. Not your salvation. Not, not your righteousness. The moment that you receive Christ, that is settled, that is done. That is once and for all, you are saved. Jesus Christ died once and for all. Done, period. But the victory over sin is a daily battle. I was talking to an alcoholic one time, recovering alcoholic, and here's what he said. He said, I came to the point where I made the decision with the help of the Holy Spirit that I was going to go an entire year sober. See, I know some of you, you were an addict. You got saved, and you're like, man, I, the whole desire left me. I never had a desire to touch it again, whether it be alcohol, drugs, whatever the case may be. I never, that doesn't happen that way with everyone. This guy said, you know what? I, I've made the decision. I've prayed, Holy Spirit, with your help, I'm an alcoholic. I'll never touch it. I'm going to not touch it for a year. And he said all of a sudden he started, and day number one he thought, I can't do a year. It's impossible. I can't do a year. And so he was talking to someone, and here's what they said. Hey, quit focusing on being sober for a year, and instead sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to be sober for a day. And he said, I thought about that, and I thought, I can't be sober for even a day. And he said, so I decided I'm going to be sober for an hour. And he was sober for an hour, and that brought great victory. And he said, I was sober for another hour, and it brought great victory. And the next thing I know, I'd been sober for an entire day. That brought great victory. And that day led to a week, right? That week led to a month. And then he said, that month led to a year. And that year led to years of great victory over that addiction in his life. I'm just saying that when it comes to any kind of addiction, when it comes to sin, and I think you would agree with me this morning, that there's nothing more addictive than sin every hour, every day. You've got to make the decision. 
with the help of the Holy Spirit of God. I'll not let this control me anymore. I'll not let this this decide who I am anymore. I will not let this rule me any, any more. So it's that daily battle. I won't let sin control me anymore. Sin, you have no power over me anymore. I'm righteous and I belong to Christ. Make me more like him. And so... I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to self, right? I have life. What is life? Life is in Jesus. Some of you are here today and you're like, you know what? I've got life and I don't know Jesus. No, you're alive. Difference between being alive and having life, right? How do we know you're alive? Well, I mean, few of you in this room may be dead. I'm not real sure. You're alive. Blood's coursing through your veins, right? Your brain's firing. Some really fast. Others, mm. But you don't have life. Because true life only comes through the life giver, which we know is Christ. Here's the fourth truth. I'll not allow my body to be an instrument of sin. Some of you are really not going to like this one. Look in verse 13. Do not present your members. When he uses the word members there, he's talking about the parts of your body. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. See, you can use the parts of your body one of two ways. You can use all the members of your body to do righteous deeds or to do unrighteous deeds. Notice he doesn't say there, don't offer your spirit to sin. Because the moment you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit redeems your spirit, right? The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your spirit, and your spirit is okay. It's just what he is saying here is, we still got to deal with this old physical flesh, this old body. Uh, The terminology he uses is this old nature. And it's very, very fleshly and sin-driven. So one of the ways that you're victorious over sin day after day, is you guard, even according to what he says, the very members of your body. you got to guard your mind. Did you know it's possible to sin in your mind? Like you've not even done something. You say, well, that's temptation. That's not really, I'm not talking about temptation. It is possible to even sin in your mind. Here's what I mean. Temptation comes, there's some tempting thought that comes into your mind, and all of a sudden you'll grab hold of that. And you'll entertain that. And you'll fantasize that. Or you'll think about that. And think about how that you could carry that out. Think about, I'm just saying, you can come to church on a Sunday morning, sit in a service right here, and even sin with your mind. He says, guard your mind. Guard your mind. But let's move down a little bit. You've also got to guard your eyes. Do you know that's a body member? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that your eyes are actually the windows of the soul. You can offer your eyes to look at things that are unholy, things that are impure, things that are lustful, things like pornography. Please hear me. Please hear me. There is no justification for anyone who says they belong to Jesus Christ to try to justify any pornographic image. Ever. It is impure. 
Okay, or it might be uh, some kind of literature. It could be some kind of movie or some kind of television show. The Bible again says it is coming into your soul through your very eyes. And so you're doing, you're just inviting a bunch of trash and a bunch of garbage into your mind. And when you do that, and it says do not open your eyes for that. Do not open your eyes for that. I'm talking to a generation of folks. You know, it used to be in order to grab a hold of pornography, you'd have to go down, you'd have to go to a convenience store or a gas station or something like that. You would wait to make sure everybody was out. You would go up and you'd buy a magazine, and yet they're walking around with the biggest pornographic uh, provider the world's ever known right there in their pockets. And the Bible says that for a follower of Christ, I'm going to guard what I put in my mind. I'm going to guard, I'm going to guard what I allow my eyes to see. Friend, listen to me. If you struggle with something like that, you need an accountability partner, an accountability individual, someone that loves you enough and loves Christ that will ask you questions and you'll respond to that. I'm just saying, there, statistics tell us there's a huge, huge number of people in the church that are addicted to pornography. There's help. There's help. Be careful what you put before your eyes. Let's move down even further. You got to guard your mouth. Anybody in this room ever gotten in trouble with your mouth? Right? Again, I have. There are things that I've said. I'm like, oh, I almost got in trouble with my mouth last night. I could have been coming live to you from the DeKalb County Jail. Um. Yeah, the tongue. James says the tongue is like a fire. It's like a poison. It's like a serpent. Using the tongue to spread gossip or using the tongue to, uh, to tear people down. Using the tongue to not edify other people. Using the tongue to, I don't know, dishonesty for profanity for crude, vulgar speech. Last night I was sitting there at the airport waiting on my... 11 o'clock flight, and uh, I started watching a, a, you know, a football game. My team was playing, Tennessee was playing. I don't remember who it is they were playing, but they, <laughs> they, were, they were playing. And by the way, I always appreciate y'all's encouragement during ball games. Um, and there's a guy who was at the gate, and uh, he, uh, he saw that I was watching the game. He goes, man, I'm a Tennessee fan. I'm from Tennessee, too. And... Uh, and within the course of just a second, uh, he dropped two F-bombs and he said another word. And uh, here's what I'm thinking in my mind out of all the people you could have sat next to. <laughs> I cannot stand vulgar language. Teenagers, I'm going to tell you, something ought to be different from your speech than somebody who doesn't profane, pro profess to be a Christ follower. Mamas and daddies, well, you know, that's... That's the people I run with. That's the way they talk at my work. Well, I'm just telling you, you profess Christ. The way you talk at your work ought to be different than somebody who profanes Christ. And uh, so anyway, this old boy had spent a little too much time waiting on the flight at the TGIF Friday's bar. And uh, I said, hey, listen, man, I need you to quit using 
that kind of language. You don't need to talk the way you're talking. And he's like, what? What did I say? What, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't need to repent. I tell you what, here's a good course of action. Just don't say another word. <laughs> and I know some of you are like, Pastor, that would have been a great opportunity for you to say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. I'll be honest with you, probably missed a great opportunity. I was closer to punching him than saying, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> Just being honest. No, 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 no. Your tongue, the way you use your tongue. The Bible says you've got a choice. So day by day, moment by moment, I'm not going to do that. And we're not going to go any further south, okay? But uh, there are a lot of body parts. And uh, every one of them can be used for what's wrong or they can be used for what is right. And, and let me just stop and say this, since I'm speaking in imperatives today and basically telling you everything I don't like. The Bible makes it very clear that sex is an intimate experience between a husband and a wife and any other, any other, any other use of sex is abuse of sex according to God's plan. Not too long ago, we were walking through the book of Romans when we started, and we came to the point where he, he specifically talks about homosexuality, and I preached a sermon about homosexuality. All I did is say, here's what the Bible says. There were folks who got up and walked out of here and went on social media, folks that were sitting in this room who came to the very house of God, expecting the man of God to proclaim the word of God. I felt as though I did it in a pretty gracious way. I even said, there's hope there. It is not just talking about homosexuality. We're talking about any, any sex outside of the context of one man, one woman under the boundaries of marriage and man, they lit me up. And this sermon's not even going on TV yet. I'm just saying the world says if it makes you feel good, do it. God says, nope, nope, I've given you that body. I've given you that gift of sexual intimacy to be used within the confines of a husband and a wife in marriage. Premarital sex is not according to God's plan. Adultery, not according to God's plan. I don't care if you were married 50 years and your wife died and her husband died and now you're dating and you're like, it's okay. No, it's not. Put a ring on it. He's talking about, hey, don't even let the members, right? The, the parts of your body do anything that is unrighteous. And then he gives us another one. I surrender all. I surrender all to God. Look in verse 13. Verse 13, he says, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Here's the problem that we have. There are a lot of people who have come to Jesus. There are a lot of people, they, they want Jesus to be their Savior. In other words, they, 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 they don't want to die and go to hell. And so they're like, dear Jesus, please save me from hell. Dear Jesus, please forgive my sins. Yet they've never truly surrendered to him and allowed him to be the Lord of their life, the boss of their life, the ruler of their life. You say, Pastor, what's the difference between making Jesus your Savior and making Jesus your Lord? If he is your Savior, he's just a little bit a part of your life. That means that you got 
got your business life over here, right? You've got your recreational life over here. You've got your hobby life over here. And over in this little alcove, you have Jesus in your life there. But when he is your Lord, he's not a part of your life. He's your life. Your life means he's Lord over everything. Here's what someone said. He's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Can you honestly say today that you have given all of yourself to God that there is to give? I have a friend who has two young daughters. And he says every time he comes home from work, these these daughters take off running to him to jump up into his arms, hug him and kiss him. Daddy, 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 daddy. The older one always beats the younger one. He said the older one would come running up, daddy, 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 jump up into his arms, hugging him, kissing him, kissing him. A little bit later, the younger one comes huffing and puffing, running up, daddy, 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 daddy. And you'll find this hard to believe, but sometimes older siblings are mean to younger siblings. <laughs> yeah, and if that's you today, let me just stop and say, whew, there's going to be a price to pay one day, brother, sister. And he said, one time, the older one jumped up to his arms, was hugging him and kissing him. There comes the younger one running along, daddy, daddy, daddy. And the older one, here's what she said. I've got all a daddy there is to get. Yeah. And he said, I shifted the older one to one arm, and I reached down with the other arm, and I picked up the younger one, and she started hugging me, and she started kissing me, daddy, daddy, daddy. And here's what she said to her older sister. You may have all a daddy there is to get, but daddy's got all of me there is to give. I like that. Friend, listen to me. When you became a Christian, you got all of God there was to receive. I'm just saying, God didn't hold back on you. The question is, are you holding back on him? If you honestly, can you honestly say that I've given him everything that I have. I've surrendered everything to him. You're not going to grow until you do that. And you're sure not going to have victory. Here's the last one. I live under grace, not law. You're going to have to acknowledge this truth, live this truth, allow this truth to encourage you if you want to move past where you got in. Look at verse 14. Sin shall have no dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Picture with me two mountains, okay? Right here is Mount Sinai. That's where God gave the law. It's where God delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses. Mount Sinai. And so there are a lot of folks that are living life, and man, they're, they're clawing, they're climbing, they're crawling, they're doing everything they can up Mount Sinai. Here's what that means. They're sitting there, and they're saying, well, you know what? I'm going to live a good life, and I'm going to be a good person, and God's going to realize that I've been better than most. And so when I finally do die, then I know that I'll go to heaven, and I'll be there with him, because look at what a moral life that I live. Can I just tell you, there are a lot of folks that are in Bible preaching and teaching, gospel delivering churches that still believe that. And the other side, you have another mountain. This is Mount Calvary. You don't have to 
climb up Mount Calvary because someone else has already done it. And his name's Jesus. And Jesus did for you and I what we could never do. He reached, he reached his human hand to us, and then he took his divine hand and reached to God. And he said, you'll never reach him through Mount Sinai. But that's okay. You can reach him through me. And yet there are a lot of folks that are living their lives trying to meet God through law and performance. And the only way to meet him is through the cross and grace and pardon. This week begins the World Series. And uh, yeah, the Braves won last night. And I know some of you are big Braves fans. I hadn't figured for the life of me why you would be, but. Uh, the Braves versus the Astros, and um, I'm, I'm hoping they both lose. <laughs> but I'm a baseball fan. I'm a baseball fan. And uh, there was the, a guy that was known as the voice of the Chicago Cubs, Harry Carey, right? Harry, he had a weird, weird voice. And, uh, you know, most of you are familiar with him, the seventh inning stretch, and he would always... Lead the crowd, oh, one, oh, two, you know, it's saying, take me out to the ball game. Uh, whenever a ball was hit out into the outfield, Harry Carey would usually respond something along these lines. It might be, it could be, it is, and then what would he say? Holy cow. He's the guy, he'd say that over and over again, holy cow. They wrote, he's dead now, but before he died, they wrote a book about his life. Do you know what the title of the book is? Yeah, you guys are so smart. <laughs> Holy cow. Holy cow. I read an excerpt from the book, and it broke my heart. It broke her heart, too. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Anyway, let me, let me share it with you. Here's what Harry Carey said. I'm not a religious man. I've had too many wives and paid too much alimony in my time. But I've always believed there was a God. You're like, well, that's good. Listen to this. I've always believed if you lived your life as a decent person, the umpire in the end will say you did it right. There are more people in this world like him than those who understand there's only one way through Jesus. Friend, listen to me. I, I do not sit there and, and believe that there is some unknown, mysterious, heavenly umpire that is going to sit there and look at our lives and declare that we are safe or out. Because the reality is we're all out. We're all out, every one of us. So I'm not depending upon this Again, this mysterious umpire that's going to sit there and say, all right, man, you've done pretty good. Come on to heaven. Instead, I, I, I'm putting my faith and trust in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. And that's the reason why I can stand today and say, dressed in his righteousness alone, mm, faultless to stand before the throne. It's Jesus. Do you know him?
Is he Lord? There, there are some of you here today who say, yeah, I know Jesus as my Savior. I know, I know that heaven will be my home when I, when I die. I have no question, no doubt about that. Can, can, can I just say, that, then why are you still trying to hold on to that? That relationship that you know that is not God-honoring? Why are you still holding on to that? That hobby? <laughs> that addiction? That idolatry? He, he, he wants all of you. Hi, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you today for listening to our Unchangeable Truth podcast. Our prayer is that you have been challenged as well as encouraged as we study God's Word verse by verse. If you're ever in the Panama City area, we would love for you to come and worship with us in person at Highland Park Baptist Church, 2611 Highway 231 North in Panama City. If you want to learn more about our ministry and about our church, we would encourage you to go to our website, www.highland, and that's H-I-L-A-N-D, park, P-A-R-K, dot org. If you have any questions or any comments about today's podcast, feel free to shoot us an email at info at highlandpark.org. That's H-I-L-A-N-D, P-A-R-K, dot org. Our prayer is that you would continue to draw close to God. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, please reach out to us and let us share with you the greatest story that's ever been told. God bless.